Nobody can do this on their own. So it's so important that I have an amazing team around me to support me. Welcome to The Irresistible Factor, a podcast where I talk to founders and investors and retailers about what it takes to launch successful brands, from developing a compelling proposition and brand identity, to raising capital, to getting distribution, and more. My name is Christy Bridges, and I'm a marketing expert with tons of experience and a true love for all things health and wellness. Hi, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of The Irresistible Factor. I'm very happy to be talking with Betsy Ham, who is the CEO of Duck Donuts, which is such a fun brand to even say, um, and even more fun to eat. So, And I've noticed the growth you guys are experiencing is pretty phenomenal. So I'm happy to have you. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to hear about Duck Donuts and where you are as a brand, but also about your journey and how you wound up in this role and what your path sort of was. So do you want to start with that? Sure, absolutely. I can start there. So prior to Duck Donuts, I actually worked for She Entertainment and Resorts for about 15 years in various marketing roles. So, you know, my job at the end of the day was to drive people to the destination of Hershey. So that was, of course, Hershey Park or the Chocolate Spa or coming to a concert, Bears game, you know, resorts, all of that. So it was a really awesome experience because I got to work on such amazing legacy brands. And who doesn't want to go on vacation when there's, you know, chocolate all around? So had a really great opportunity to help grow those brands and was kind of at that point in my career where things were good and things were fine. And I, I loved my team and the brands, but was willing to hear if anybody had any interesting opportunities out there. A friend of mine in the industry had said, hey, you know what? Duck Donuts is actually opening up their corporate headquarters in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and they're looking for somebody to come in and basically build a marketing team. And I said, well, first of all, I've never heard of Duck Donuts, but Hey, it's Donuts and building a team and a brand sounds really interesting to me. So let's have the conversation. So met with the CEO and the COO at the time and thought like, wow, so here's this brand that started in the Outer Banks and people who vacation in the Outer Banks know and love the brand. And now they're trying to take that brand and take it across the nation to introduce it to, you know, a lot of new consumers and new markets. And, you know, there was one person on the marketing team at the time. So I thought, oh, my gosh, this is like a marketing person's dream where you have a little bit of a base, but you really have to evolve it and grow it and build a team to support it. So I did hesitate to say, like, yes, this is like a once in a lifetime opportunity to be able to do all that. So I took the job. And when I started at Duck Donuts, which is almost five years ago, it'll be five years in September, we had, I think I was employee number 12, and they just happened to hire two people like right before me. So basically, there was nine people up until right before I got there. I was employee number 12, and we had about 22 locations open. So Hershey, which is this really big organization with a lot of people and a lot of resources, and now I was working for basically a startup company. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) had quite the culture shock of... yeah what do I do? I don't sit in meetings all day. Like how do, how do we do stuff? And I get to hire people. So started just working on building the brand, building out the team. And about a year into it, Russ, who's the founder of the company and was the CEO at the time was like, you know what? He's like, you're really good at, you know, connecting the dots and seeing the big picture. I'm going to promote you to COO to oversee operations and marketing. So first I was like, really? Because usually marketing and ops are in very different worlds. They are. (laughs) But it made sense because so much of it's about the customer experience and, of course, even how we're working with our franchisees. 
did the leap into to the COO role and was doing that for about three years or so. And then just really last January, Russ started talking about like, look, we're going to have 100 locations open soon. We've done really well with what we have and what we know. We've you know, continued to add really great talent to the team, which has been awesome. I was like, but I feel like I've taken this as far as I can as the founder and the CEO. So started having conversations with various private equity groups that could help us scale and evolve as a brand. And after a year, this is all during COVID, we're kind of going through the process. Um, wow. We found a partner that we believe will help all those things come to fruition. And and part of that deal was, you know, Russ was like, look, I'm good to take a step back. You know, he still has significant ownership in the company and is on the board. But part of the whole transition was then me transitioning into CEO, which has been for about two months. So it's a, it's a completely a new, oh a completely new job. But yeah, for two months, I've been the CEO. Well, first of all, congratulations. Cause that's thank you. And also going from, did you say 22 stores to hundred? Yeah, we're over hundred, about 107 locations right now. So it, it's amazing. Amazing. And then bringing on a private equity partner all during COVID. Yes. Wow. Yes. Yeah. So um, have never really been bored, but especially uh, over the last year, our team, just like everybody else, just trying to pivot and deal with COVID over the last year. And meanwhile, just trying to grow and and look to the future. And, you know, our goal is to open an additional 200 locations in the next four years. So that's some significant growth. But I think we have a good foundation and it'll be easier than going from 20 to 100, essentially. Mm -hmm. Certainly have learned a lot, but it's going to be fun over the next few years. So do you want to share some lessons and things that you've learned that you would love for other people to hear about? And no, I'm sure there were challenges along the way, especially in the past year and a half. Yeah, for sure. You know, and I think the biggest thing is, is we all sort of get what we think our future should look like. You know, I mean, if you would have asked me five years ago or seven years ago, like, oh, hey, you're going to be a CEO of a donut international donut franchise. I would be like, yeah, that doesn't that doesn't sound like my career path. But I think just being open to opportunities when they are presented to you and not be so stuck in, oh, I need to be, you know, the director of this. So I'm going to work here or whatever. Just having that ability to be open. And I think personally, professionally, you know, when it comes to like myself or even to like our team or the brand, it's just being resilient. Everything is not easy all the time. And, you know, there's certainly challenges and setbacks that happen to all of us personally, as well as from a company standpoint. But it's just that ability to keep fighting and keep going. And especially I think everybody can relate to that over the last year. Certainly wasn't easy for anyone, but it was just important to keep keep moving and going and fighting back (laughs) to to take it to the next level. Sometimes it's really hard and Mm -hmm. it's exhausting. How do you keep a positive attitude and how do you keep that spirit even when you're like, oh my God, I don't know. Yeah, that is hard. And lucky for me, I think that's just part of my personality. So I think it comes easier for me than some others. But, you know, last year certainly tested my optimism and my energy and my excitement, especially in the beginning when you're like, oh, my gosh, what's going on? But just kept thinking about the fact that, like, I have this team of people who are looking to me in terms of like, hey, is she panicked? Is she freaking out yet? So kind of like what we do with our kids sometimes, too, right? Like you, you have to be that good perspective on it and have that good image going on. So I think just knowing that the team was relying on me for that. And even our franchisees, you know, we have 70 plus franchisees throughout the country who were looking to us for support, but also just what kind of vibe we were putting out there. 
it doesn't mean being oblivious to what's going on. And of course, it wasn't all sunshine and roses. So acknowledging that things are hard and, you know, I think it's an important part of that. But I just just knowing that I think people rely on you to have the optimism and the energy around it was enough to keep going. Now, that doesn't mean I didn't turn off a team's meeting and be like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> you know, you certainly have those moments, but trying to, to keep it real, you know, I, I think everybody appreciates keeping it real, but, but trying to, to have some optimism around what was going to happen in the future, too. I think that's an interesting analogy. I haven't heard anyone that I've interviewed talk about it, the way you talk about parenting and the way you talk about people looking to you and having almost no choice in a way. Like if you want right. to survive and you want your team to feel good, you have to think about it that way. Like they can't really see you. I mean, reality is reality, but you don't right. want to, you're too shaken up or, so that's really interesting. And I think that's a good piece of advice, especially for people who are moving into leadership roles where they haven't been before. Yeah. Absolutely. I feel that way too. Sometimes, like sometimes I don't know the answers. I don't, sure. but I do want to make sure that I can find them and ask questions and, and not Absolutely. get like, complete panic. So yeah, I get it. Like our core values is, is transparency. So it's balancing that, like, you know, yeah. being transparent and sharing what we knew. But again, especially last year, like we had no idea. We had no idea how long it was going to last, how bad it was going to be. So, you know, part of that too, I think is being transparent and honest, but trying to take that and say like, but we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And again, we didn't have all the answers, of course, but trying to problem solve as much as you can as you're going through that as well. How have you found building a team to be with the kind of growth you guys are experiencing? Because it seems like it was, I mean, the past year has been a big year for you. That's a lot from 2200, a lot as far as stores go. And during COVID, I'm sure it was even worse. But how did you find that process of yeah, it's, build your own it's team? so, so, so important, so critical. And someone had taught me years ago, the whole strategy structure people, you know, knowing kind of where you're going and how you're going to get there was, was sort of the first layer and then identifying the structure that can support that and then putting the people in there. So that works, except when you're growing as quickly as we are, that structure yeah. continues to kind of change and grow. And the good news is it's adding people, but building a team is so, so critical to our success. And I think my team probably wanted to kill me the last year or so because I kept saying about the putting the right people on the bus in the right seats. But yeah. I mean, it's so important, you know, and it's, it's, yeah. it's true. And of course, like every company, we had maybe some of the wrong people. We might have had people in the wrong seats or whatever it was. So, I think the biggest thing I've learned, especially when the team is so small, now we have about 26 employees, but going from even 12 to 26 in the last two years is every position is so critical and you got to do what's right for the business. So sometimes those conversations and those things are hard, but we're not this big corporate organization where you can kind of just shuffle people around or, you know, move, move things and nobody notices, but every, every role is so critical to our success. Like, up to this point, and it's going to be even more critical moving forward because maybe what got us to 100 locations isn't going to get us to 200 or 300 locations. So, you know, just staying on top of that and, and making sure that we have the right team and then making sure they have all the right resources too certainly yeah. plays into that. So you went from a big, big company with lots of resources mm -hmm. to a really small growing company so do you feel like your experience at Hershey helped you in a lot of ways or were there things that you were like, oh man, I had no idea how this worked? Or <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I had the big picture of how it could be or what it would look like. Sometimes I'd be like, you know, Hershey was so big. If you had a phone issue, you called the person who handled phones or, you know, you had a help desk and there was somebody who did every like little specific thing. And here, of course, even now people wearing multiple hats 
and doing things that they maybe didn't know that they signed up for essentially. But I think it, it helped to see sort of the big picture and how we can grow it. And I think we've become and Russ would always say, like, I helped to make like our team more sophisticated because it was like, I don't think we had job descriptions or job titles when I first started. And of course, that's not unusual for a new no, brand with a new company. So it was really taking all of that and being like, wait, we need job descriptions. We need job titles. We need an org chart, like having all of that knowledge of just how a big corporate organization yeah. runs. And, and, you know, the nice thing is, is we can kind of make it our own. So it doesn't have to be, you know, corporate. When you say corporate, it gets a bad rap a lot of times. So yeah. we can take the good and leave the bad to the side, but really try to maximize the good pieces of having a more sophisticated corporate structure. It's interesting because he must have had some vision and known that that's where he wanted to head because he hired you. And I think that's so, so smart because a lot of startups and companies that are small don't want structure. I mean, they fight it and fight it. Right. And fight it, right? <laughs> because it's not the culture. It's like, just do it, do it, do it, do it. We don't need the structure. We don't need to stop. We don't need to think. We don't need to strategize. Yep. <laughs> we just need to make the stuff and get it out there. But that's not really true as you grow. Yeah, no, that's so true. And it's funny because Russ is a, like a serial entrepreneur. He had other businesses before Duck Donuts and others that were, were bigger too, but he would be the first to say like being like in that CEO strategy kind of corporate structure is not his strength. He's an entrepreneur and he's a visionary, but he's the smart kind that realizes where the weaknesses that he has and then builds the team like, hey, I need people to do this. And I joke to him, I say, yeah, when you guys interviewed me, you literally said, yeah, we don't know anything about marketing, but you came really highly recommended and we just wanted to see if you fit with our culture. And so, you know, that was their sort of way that they, they knew where their shortcomings were or what they maybe weren't experts in and then built and brought in people that can support that. And the other part of that too is, you know, Russ was really smart about hiring people, the right people ahead of time. Like we were essentially losing money at the end of the year, but we had it just because we had so many salaries and the team because he didn't want to get caught behind because our main job is to support the franchisees. So the franchisees aren't being supported. They're not going to be profitable and it's just going to, you know, unravel quickly. So he was very, very smart and identifying that and then actually putting resources as in people behind that to make sure that the right things did happen. Can you talk a little bit about the culture? You said that he was wanting to make sure that you were a fit with the culture. How big a part does that play in what you're doing now and who you're hiring and how you're growing? Yeah. So it's funny because the culture, I would say when I started, it's the same, but different. It all started with family. So I was probably the third hire that was not family at oh, the time. Oh, wow. what an yeah. experience. <laughs> Right. So that, that brings a whole different, you know, aspect Definitely. to it. But even now with us being bigger, like family is one of our core values. So, you know, we identified core values early on about, you know, transparency and family and innovation. And those are things that we put on the wall. But, you know, we try to figure out how to activate that. We're kind of interesting because we, we have our corporate team, but then we also have our franchisee community. So we, I think, have done a really good job over the last few years and even during COVID of having this culture where we have a serious job, right? Like people invest hundreds of thousands of dollars with us and they might invest their life savings, their college, yes. you know, savings account, whatever it is. So it sounds like, oh, it's fun. We're selling, you know, franchises to sell donuts. But at the end of the day, like, it's really serious. People are investing a ton of money with us. And we have to make sure we're delivering on that and the support that they need in order to be successful. Because if we won't, we won't be able to sell more franchises in the future. So it's a big task. And I think everyone takes their job very seriously. And having in a small company, you have that ability to make an impact, which I think makes a very big difference of how people view their role, because they are able to make that impact 
so all that said, the other piece of that is like, I'm all about like work hard, play hard. So as much as we work really hard and, you know, strive to support our franchisees, we have fun. We even have a team building committee that's internal for our corporate team. And, you know, they're the ones celebrating birthdays and having, well, when we were in person more, have happy hours and Cinco de Mayo celebrations or whatever it is, just making sure that we're creating that like culture of fun and teamwork. I mean, teamwork obviously is so important, you know, with operations, working with marketing or IT or whoever it is, we have to work really closely together. So having that really supportive culture is really, really important. I don't see that going away no matter how many people we have. We have to have a good teamwork approach to everything that we do. Do you feel like that comes through even in the stores? Because I sort of do. I mean, I've been to Duck Donuts and I feel like it does come through. There's an element of fun and definitely an element of family. Is that something that you try to... I mean, you can't control everything. I know I've worked with franchises before too. So you can't (laughs) control everything, but you can set some guardrails. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. From the training, you know, that they go through, even when they put together their business plans, we give them our core values and ask how they would integrate these into their organization. Because, you know, it is, it's them taking our brand and creating their own group of, you know, employees, but it still has to be Duck Donuts. So, and you're right from a customer standpoint, Duck Donuts is fun. And we have, you know, from a branding standpoint, we say we have like a jester personality, like we're fun and we're playful. And that has to come across and not just our marketing materials, that has to come across in the shop experience as well. It is really key. And a good thing that came out of COVID was we, of course, had marketing campaigns that were planned. And then obviously, we're not going to go out there being all jester and happy at the beginning of COVID. But like our franchisees started dropping off donuts for frontline workers at hospitals, at grocery stores, we're just wherever people had to work. And it started this whole sprinkle happiness campaign. And oh. now like we still use sprinkle happiness a lot because that's what we're doing. You know, like how many people when they someone drops off donuts or they get a box of donuts when they walk into the office or sitting there, like it just makes people happy. Like eating donuts <laughs> makes people happy. So the fact that we can say we, you know, we help sprinkle happiness, I think is fun. And it's so, so perfect for our brand. Yes, that's amazing. That's great that you guys could pivot during that time and do that. And it's so great that you were able to help out because, I mean, people needed some happiness sprinkled. Yes, really. Yes. Did. They really did. Yep. I mean, I think we all still do, but in a different way. Now, at least we can see each other and get outside and we can go into Duck Donuts. But at the time, it was really the brands that got to make a difference really made a big difference. Absolutely. I think the impact of that for you guys will be longer lasting than most things you probably have done will be because I I agree too. I agree. And that's what we told our franchisees when we kept because some of them just did it on their own. And then it was like, Hey, look at what these franchisees are doing. Just encouraging others. Like this is the kind of stuff that makes that lasting impression on your community. Hey, when the world was shut down and everybody was so bad and depressed, you know, Duck Donuts was doing donations to, you know, everybody that was working and just trying to, bring a little happiness to everyone's day. So awesome. Awesome. What's next for you guys? I mean, I sort of know something because I read it. (laughs) Um, Well, our big news of the week really is I just got back from Egypt on Monday. So we signed a master franchise deal for Egypt and they'll be focused in Cairo. So that'll be our second. They'll probably open here in the next few months. So that'll be our third international country. So we have opened in Dubai and the UAE in September of last year. And then we're waiting for Saudi Arabia to open. They're ready to go, but we can't get a team there yet with all of their COVID restrictions. Uh Um, And then Egypt will be the next country as well. So looking to grow from an international presence. And then, of course, just growing our presence here in the U.S. Um, I said we have about 107 locations. And by the end of the year, we'll have about 130 locations 
and then just increasing the quickness of opening locations. So hopefully after this year, we'll open 40, 50 locations a year. And so backfill markets as well as, you know, we're pretty heavy, heavier on the East Coast, but, you know, mm-hmm. going to the Midwest and the West Coast as well, looking at non-traditional locations. So we opened up a container store in California earlier this year. So oh, that's um, cool. Yeah. So things like container stores and food trucks and food trailers just getting duck donuts out on the road, of course, in non-traditional locations, say amusement parks or airports, where we just get some really great brand awareness and get in front of people who maybe haven't been to a location and then have the ability to have that experience and then hopefully, you know, go back to their town. What was the thinking behind the Middle East? That's interesting. I don't hear too many brands saying that's their first kind of foray into international. So it's funny. We were slow playing the international because it's a lot of work. It's a lot of things to figure out supply chain and everything like that. And the franchisee who is in the UAE, he actually lived in the U.S. in Washington, D.C., so was familiar with the brand just from being in the D.C. area, was looking to move back to the Middle East. He's actually Saudi Arabian, but was looking to move to Dubai and thought that would be a great fit for the country. And I was in Dubai in September. They love sweets. So obviously they don't drink. So a lot of times it's going to restaurants, it's going out for, you know, dessert and that kind of thing. So we'll see that as like a late afternoon, evening snack, maybe a little bit more than we even do for breakfast, which is interesting, but they love their sweets. And of course it's very family friendly, just like it is here in the U.S. So it's just a nice thing that people can do. And even being in Egypt last week, I just couldn't get over. (laughs) First of all, the amount of people, there's 22 million people in the city. But just the amount of restaurants and food and people, it was everything was packed and, you know, just the way that they, they sort of pass the time. So we're excited just the fact that they, they love sweets, but donuts really isn't a huge thing there. So we yeah. have this very cool opportunity to introduce and our donuts are a little different being a vanilla cake donut that's fresh and, and made to order and choose your topping. So it's just different for them than anything that they have currently. So. We're just really excited about the opportunity for growth. But you're right. Like, I wouldn't have thought the Middle East either. But now as you learn more about the culture and the why behind it, you're like, oh, okay. We're going to have a lot of locations in the Middle East, I think, in a few years from now. So cool. That's interesting. Like, that's something I haven't heard anyone talk about either. I I worked with a franchise a long time ago. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's called Potatopia. It was a potato mm. with potato-based concept, a quick serve restaurant. And they were doing the same thing Chipotle was doing, but they were doing it on potatoes. Oh. Um, and I don't think they wound up making it in the end. But one of the places they had opened a couple of stores was in Dubai, which I thought was interesting. Interesting. Yeah. They had like three stores in the US and two stores in Dubai, which is so strange. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah. That's very yeah. funny. Any other like advice or things that you're faced with coming up that you're like, I don't know how I'm going to deal with this, but I'm going to figure it out or challenges or. I mean, I think the biggest thing is just admitting for myself too, like it's just knowing that you need help. Like nobody can do this on their own. So it's so important that I have an amazing team around me to support me that, you know, you can have the expert in marketing you can have the expert in, in IT or operations. So just knowing you have to have the right people around you in order to make this happen. And then I spend a lot of time trying to network with other franchisors so especially in the beginning, because I had not, I didn't have a franchising background. So for me to understand, like a lot of the pain that we were going through was totally normal for a franchise group or totally normal for an emerging yeah. brand. I love talking to other people within the industry. I think it's so, so huge. And the nice thing is like in franchising, people are so willing to have those conversations. So it's not like, oh, I can't talk to you, you're competition. So I've just made friends with a lot of people at other franchise groups that I can say, hey, who are you using for this? Or how did you do that? And just, 
you know, you just can learn so much and we'll still make mistakes. But if I can make less mistakes because somebody else has already done it and can tell me how they did it, I just think that's really important. So between the team and then just having that constant network of people that you can rely on or talk to or ask for advice, I think is huge. I think that's really good advice too, because I think sometimes when you're in a leadership role, even if it's a small company and even if it's a an emerging company, you feel a lot of pressure to figure everything out. And it's not really the best way all the time. Finding people and CEO groups and people who are just willing to share experiences. There's just so many lessons to be learned without necessarily having to make the mistakes. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And that's a great point too about like groups. I'm in a business women's group who it's a WPO. So it's women president's organization. And that's been like an amazing group. Sometimes I feel like it maybe is my therapy group, but, and that's women in very different organizations, you know, whether it could be an attorney, it could be somebody from an accounting standpoint, people who own like an IT service business. So very different backgrounds, nothing similar to me, but we all are dealing with the same kind of stuff, whether it's employee challenges or growth challenges or dealing with your board or whatever it is, you know, these women are all doing the same thing. So they've been a huge asset to me over the last year. And especially, you know, I think I'm going to be the CEO. Like, how do I handle that? How do I position it? And, you know, they were amazing to talk through that. So I do think even having those kinds of groups is really important and has been just a huge asset to me, especially during the last year. Oh, awesome. Thank you so much for your time. I love all the things you said. And I think you gave such great advice. And I'm going to look into the Women President's Organization. Oh, nice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's really great, though. Congratulations on all your success. I think thank you. your brand is very lucky to have you. You obviously have such great energy. And I know that goes a long way. I know you you do when you're building something. So thank you so much for joining us. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to The Irresistible Factor. I'm Christy Bridges, and I can't wait to see you next Wednesday.